next Sunday uh, is Father's Day, but next Sunday we are having some International Mission Board missionaries with us. Uh, John and Sherry Randall will be with us uh, next week. So I decided on to do a Father's Day related sermon this Sunday. So this morning our focus is going to be Abraham. He's surely one of the best known characters in the Bible. There's a lot we can learn from him. And the chapter we're going to be focusing on is chapter 18. Very intriguing chapter where the Lord and two angels appear to Abraham, speak about the judgment he's about to bring on Sodom. But before we get to that, there are some general things, foundational things we need to say about Abraham. And the first thing I want to point out, and this is on your outline, is just an ob- the obvious fact that Abraham is well known as a man of faith. There's nothing that a- about Abraham that is more well known than this. But it's important to remember that's not how Abraham started out. He did not start out as a man who was trusting in the Lord and following him. Matter of fact, that was the, cl- the complete opposite. So the first point is that God called Abraham out of idolatry to faith in him, called him out of idolatry to faith in him. We're first introduced to Abraham in Genesis 11. His father was Terah. They lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. He took Sarah as his wife. When the Lord spoke to Abraham, he called him to leave the land of his father and go to the land of Canaan. The Lord also promised at this time that he was going to make Abraham into a great nation that he was going to bless those who blessed him, curse those who cursed him. And Lord also said, in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Just astounding, life-changing promises, really world-changing promises that were given to Abraham. When Joshua 24, Joshua gives us a bit of important additional information to just, just to clarify Joshua tells us that Abraham and his father served other gods. So Abraham was not a good person in the eyes of God. He was committed to serving false gods. He was what we would call a pagan. There's no indication at all that he had any interest in the one true God. He was deceived. He was committed to his idolatry. But God intervened. God called Abraham to turn from his idolatry. God called Abraham to believe in him as the one true God. God revealed a number of remarkable promises to Abraham and enabled Abraham to believe those promises. So the first thing that we can learn from Abraham is that none of us are good enough on our own to be pleasing to God. Both David and Paul wrote this. It says, they say, there is none righteous not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So the first step to becoming a man of faith or a person of faith is to recognize that we are sinners. We need help. We're not even able to truly help ourselves in this way, we're not able to do one single thing that is actually considered good in the eyes of God that meets his standards. So we need help. We can't help ourselves. We need God's grace. Well, God in his grace enabled Abraham to see his need. 
And in his grace, the Lord enabled Abraham to see the answer to that need. Well, it leads us to our next point on your outline, which is this. Abraham believed the promises God gave to him about a son and about the Messiah who would come through his descendants. When the Lord called Abraham out of idolatry, as we said, he promised he would make him a great nation. He promised that all the families of the earth would be blessed in him. Well, that was when Abraham was 75 years old. He had no children. His wife, Sarah, was not able to have children. Time went on, and there still was no children. Well, then we see this in Genesis 15. I'm going to read verses 2 through 6. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens, and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So the Lord speaks to Abraham. Abraham takes the opportunity uh, to point out the obvious. I don't have any kids. Uh, how am I going to be the father of a great nation if I have no children? So the Lord reiterates the promise he'd already given to Abraham and gives him a little more detail than what he'd given him before. He challenges Abraham to look up into the sky and start counting the stars that he could see. And then he says, your descendants are going to be more numerous than those stars. Abraham's response is very important. In fact, it's his response to God's promise here that causes Abraham to be known as a man of faith. Genesis 15, 6 says, Then he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed the truth of the promise that the Lord gave him. He believed in the power of God to make such an outlandish, seemingly unbelievable promise. And he also believed in the trustworthiness of God to keep that promise. Well, then we see that God reckoned this to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham was accept, accepted in the sight of holy God as being righteous, not because of his works, but because he believed. He believed the Lord. So Abraham's faith that God would, in fact, give him descendants included the fact that one of those descendants, the most important of those descendants, would be the Messiah. It would be through this Messiah that all the families of the earth would be blessed. And this is the only way, obviously, for a person to be saved. And Abraham is our example for what it means to have saving faith in Jesus Christ, which is our next point. Abraham's faith is the model. His faith is the model given for all who would believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. There's multiple places in the New Testament where Abraham is given as the example for us, for what saving faith looks like. In, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul points out <clears throat> how the promise to Abraham regarding his seed was written in the singular. Galatians 3.16 says this, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. 
he does not say unto seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is, Christ. It's important, when you're thinking about the promises given to Abraham, the promises he believed by faith. That promise include the Messiah. Paul also quotes Genesis 15, 6 uh, in Galatians. Let me read another passage for you here. Galatians 3, 6 through 9. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's a quote from Genesis 15, 6. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel before, beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Abraham, the believer. So he tells us that if anyone is a true son of God, then he has the same faith that Abraham had. That's true for Jews, Gentiles alike. Now, Paul spoke one more place I want to point out where Abraham shows up in the New Testament. There's other places besides these, but let me just give you one more. Uh, Romans 4, 18 to 25. In hope against hope, Abraham believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. There's that verse again. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, to him but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification, or for our justification. So Abraham was well aware that he was too old to have children. Abraham was well aware of the deadness of Sarah's womb, as it's, as it's spoken of here in this passage. But he believed the promise of God, and it was by faith that the Lord reckoned Abraham as righteous. And it says what was written about Abraham is meant as an example, instruction for us. It's by faith in the risen Christ that we are saved and given the gift of righteousness, not by works, but by faith. Now, all this is important background for us whenever we consider what's written in Genesis 18. So our second main point is this. Abraham did not do everything perfectly, but it's clear that his life had been changed and he was fully committed to the Lord. Abraham is definitely a model to us of a faithful man. He is an example, first off, of one who was saved out of idolatry. He's an example of one who believed the promises of God about the one who could save him, the Messiah. He's an example of one who, made, who was made righteous before God by faith, not by his works. He's also an example of one whose life was transformed by the Lord. But that doesn't mean he always did everything right. Not once but twice he actually lied about the fact that Sarah was his wife. First he lied to the Pharaoh of Egypt. Secondly, he, later he lied to King Abimelech. His concern was that Sarah was a beautiful woman. He thought they would kill him so they could have Sarah. 
Now, maybe his intentions were better than what it seems on the surface. Uh, in both cases, the Lord definitely intervened to make sure that both Abraham and Sarah were unharmed. But there does seem to be some indication that his fear may have been stronger than his faith in some of the situations. We also know in Genesis 16, Sarah prevailed on Abraham to do something about an heir since she was not able to have children. This was 10 years after God had made that promise. 10 years is a long time to wait for a promise to be fulfilled that there's no indication that it was getting ready to happen at all. Well, Sarah convinced Abraham to have relations with, his, with her servant, Hagar. Abraham agreed. Ishmael was born. There were a number of problems that resulted, but God used it for his purposes. But once again, from our vantage point, this seems like something Abraham would have been better off not doing. I mentioned those things not to run Abraham down. He's most definitely a godly man whose life had been changed by the Lord. But I point them out to say that not everyone does everything perfectly. No one does. Not even the best Christians are exempt from dealing with sin and weakness and making mistakes in judgment. But even with those lapses in judgment, the Lord speaks of Abraham as a man of faith, as a model for us. So don't be discouraged by weakness. Keep pressing forward in faith. Now, the first evidence of Adam as a man of faith who sought to honor the Lord in Genesis 18 is the first eight verses. So, Genesis 18, verses 1 through 8. Now, the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Well, I believe these, ev these verses give evidence to this next point, and that is Abraham practiced kindness and hospitality to strangers, and God rewarded him for that. He practiced kindness. We're told in verse 1 that it was the Lord who appeared to Abraham while he was taking a rest, siesta-type time, in his, uh, in his tent in the afternoon. It's not clear that Abraham knew right away that this was the Lord. In fact, it's really not until verse 10, maybe until verse 13, that it's absolutely, absolutely clear and certain that this was the Lord appearing to Abraham in human form. Now, there's differences of opinion. Some say, well, he knew right away. I'm one who says, no, I don't think he did. I'm more inclined to think that Abraham did not realize this was the Lord, did not realize these two men with him were angels. Instead, I think Abraham's desire to serve them as he did was because he was showing kindness to strangers. 
Verse 2 says, Behold, three men were standing opposite him. Well, what I think happens here is Abraham is nodding off with his afternoon nap. He didn't see these men walking up to him. When he woke, there they were, and it startled him. Well, bowing before them is something consistent with the kind of customary, elaborate greeting that uh, was common in their culture. He then kindly invites them to come in to the tent, out of the heat, sit down, has one of his servants come and wash the feet. He gets Sarah to make some bread. Now, they didn't keep bread on hand because bread really couldn't be kept. Um, instead, they would make bread fresh for the occasion, so that's what was going on here. Paul, uh, Abraham also ran to get a choice calf from his herd, gives it to his servant to butcher the calf and prepare some meat for the visitors. He also says he had gave prepare, uh, had curds and sweet milk prepared to give them uh, to refresh themselves in that way. After serving his guest, we are told in verse eight that Abraham stood bes- uh, by them under the tree and they ate. Well, these verses, I believe, give us some insight into the kind of man that Abraham was. He was a man who was kind. He was a man who looked to be a help to people when he could. Being kind to others in practical ways is part of being a faithful man, part of being a faithful person. One of the simplest definitions for love in the Bible is love is kind. We're also told that kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. There's something else that's even quite that's even more amazing, I think, that I think applies directly to this verse. Hebrews 13:2. It says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, but by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. I think that's a reference to what happened with Abraham here. Kindness is a fruit of a life that has been transformed by the Lord. It's something a faithful man will, will be. A second example of Abraham's changed life is this. Abraham was known by the Lord. He was known by the Lord in a very real and personal way. A simple thing. Did you notice what happened after Abraham served food and drink to the guest? They ate it. Does God need to eat food? Do angels need food? No. Neither God nor angels need to eat food. But they ate food. I think they actually ate it. So they were able to eat, but they didn't need to eat. (coughs) I think they ate just to accommodate Abraham. To actually just give an expression of fellowship. To eat with Abraham. Um, I mean, that's grace. And it's just a beautiful, encouraging kind of picture of eating together with God and two of his angels. I mean, it'd be similar to what the disciples probably experienced when they would eat with Jesus the times when he was on the earth. Our Lord enjoys having fellowship with his servants. Yep, Abraham's name is in the Bible and yours isn't. Mine isn't either. But if you have saving faith in Christ, the faith of Abraham, then you are just as righteous as Abraham was. You are just as much a servant of God as Abraham was. And the Lord just as much enjoys having fellowship with you as he went out of his way to have fellowship with Abraham. In verses 9 through 15, 
we are privy to part of the conversation that took place. It was a conversation that included Sarah this time, who was inside the tent. So look at verses 9 to 15. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, they're in the tent. He said, I will, he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord also being old? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, oh, no, you did laugh. So the Lord asked about Sarah and then brings up the promise that she would have a son. This promise had been made at this time 25 years earlier. We're reminded again of the facts of the situation in verse 11. Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. But in spite of that, the Lord promises that this time next year, she will have a son. Sarah's faith is wavering. She laughs within herself at the idea that she could actually have a baby. Hebrews 11.11, Sarah is praised for her faith. Here's what it says. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. So Sarah was not unbelieving. She believed God's promise as Abraham did, but her laugh reflects some doubt. But God was faithful to her. Lord calls her out for her laughing. She denies it. He says, oh, no, you really did laugh. I think a big part of this visit to Abraham was not just to encourage Abraham, but also to encourage Sarah. She is, you could say, mildly scolded, maybe. But the overall point here is to encourage her. The Lord directly says this to her in verse 14. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. I mean, very direct truth given to encourage Sarah in her faith. Sarah was a woman of faith. She didn't do everything properly all the time either. But God gave her strength in her weakness. He knew her very well. He knew where she struggled. He personally came alongside of her to give her strength. It's interesting that when her son was born, he was given the name Isaac, which means one who laughs. So the laugh of doubt became a laugh of rejoicing. Now, the personal relationship between the Lord and Abraham continues in verse 16, when the Lord lets Abraham know what he's getting ready to do. So verses 16 to uh, first part of 19. Then the men rose up from there. And looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? 
since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, for I have chosen him. So there's more fellowship here. As Abraham walks with the Lord and the angels, you would assume a few miles. By this time, he knows very well who they are. It seems that the Lord was talking out loud, and maybe in a low voice, but loud enough so Abraham could hear what he was saying. The Lord and the angels have a mission that we'll get to in a moment. But in this low but audible voice, the Lord reminds Abraham of the promises that he made to him, just like he reminded Sarah earlier. God is mindful of our weakness. He is mindful of our need for encouragement, and he gives us what we need to continue that walk in faith. God reminds Abraham, he says, he will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is not only a reminder to strengthen his faith, it is that, but it's also a reminder that the Messiah is the one who would come to be the hope of all the nations of the earth. The Lord is with us whenever we pray and spend time with the Lord. He's with us. We don't eat food with him, you know, face to face like that. We don't see him face to face. But he is just as surely with us as his servants as he was with Abraham. Verse 10 begins with another great encouragement. He says, for I have chosen him. Literally, that means I have known him. So it's not just that God had given Abraham important information and some amazing promises, which he did. But the triune God had known Abraham personally. He set his love on Abraham. And there is an unbreakable bond between Abraham and the Lord, and it's the Lord who started the whole thing. And since the Lord has known Abraham, he speaks with him. He fellowships with him. Again, if you're a Christian, the same is true for you. God has set his love on you before the foundation of the world. He knows you. He has chosen you. So a very real part of our life as a faithful man or woman is that we are known by the Lord in a very real and personal way. And that should be an encouragement for us, just like it was for them. Okay, we start again in verse 16. We'll read through 19. Then the men rose up from there, looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So in these verses, we see another evidence of Abraham's commitment to the Lord and the transformation of life he's had. Next point, since Abraham believed God's promises, it was certain that he would lead his family to know and serve the Lord. At this point, Abraham, as has been pointed out multiple times already, had no children. He and Sarah had just heard from the Lord that within one year, the son that had been promised 25 years earlier would be, uh, they would, he, 
they would have that son by this time next year. Abraham had a household made up of servants, but he had no children. But he knew God's promise, and he believed that promise. He was known by the Lord and was chosen to be in covenant with him. His life had been transformed by the Lord, and that had everything to do with how he would live his life afterwards. Well, Lord says in verse 19 that he's certain that Abraham will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Two things I want to point out about that. First, Abraham would make sure his children understood the dangers of sin. He would make sure his children understood the dangers of sin. The context of this part of the story is that the Lord is preparing to bring judgment on Sodom. He says in verse 17 that he's not going to hide this from Abraham. He wanted him to know. One of the main reasons that Abraham wanted Abraham to know is so that he could teach his children and his household in the coming years about what happened and why. They needed to know how important the way of righteousness and justice was. They needed to know that to reject the Lord and pursue sin has dire consequences. So part of his job as a father would be to make sure his children understood the danger of sin. They need to know that they are born with a sin nature, just like everybody else in the world is. They need to be disciplined when they disobey, when that sin nature shows itself. They need to know what God's way of righteousness is. I mean, they need to know what's required in the Ten Commandments, for example. Even though certain things are acceptable in the culture at large, there needs to be an understanding of what God's standards are, which are going to be mostly different than the culture's. Our sin is not insignificant. We're all sinners, just like Abraham was. We all deserve judgment, just like the Lord brought on Sodom and the surrounding cities. That's the bad news. But an understanding of the bad news is what sets us up for the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. Jesus Christ endured the judgment that our sin deserves by his death on the cross. And then the crucified and risen Lord Christ accomplished the salvation of all who would believe in him, all who would believe with the faith of Abraham. So faithful dads and moms need to make sure their children understand the dangers of sin. That's part of what the Lord is calling Abraham to do as a father. The second thing he's doing is this. Abraham would make sure his children understood the way of the Lord. God was sure that Abraham would do this. Why? Because Abraham was a faithful man. He was a man who was committed to the Lord. He was a man who believed the promises of God. He knew he would not only teach his children about sin, about righteousness, about the need about about justice, would teach about the gospel. The Lord also knew that he would teach about the way of the Lord. In other words, I think it's it, it, the idea here, I believe, is, is, is not just to know the truth, but ha- the way in which that truth is lived out. 
So it's not enough. It's important to know what, that what we believe in our head is correct, that it is right as far as the scripture is concerned. But we also need to know how do we live that out? What does that look like in life? What, is the, what does the way of the Lord look like in life? Well, the example of parents, obviously, is going to be he here. And this is the context here. He's talking about his children and within his home. So the example of the parents is going to be extremely important, as well as as examples of other Christians in their life. Many of those examples are going to be seen up close and personal in in the church that they they attend. So it's not only important to teach the truth, but also to show how the truth is lived out, to see examples of the way of the Lord in action. I think it's also important to know here that the Lord also knows that Abraham is a man of vision because the Lord is the one who gave him the vision. He knows these promises that he has been given are not just for himself and Sarah. They are not just for his immediate family. They are also for those who are going to come after Abraham was dead and gone. Abraham has in mind the children and the household who will come after him. God has given him a vision for his family, but it goes beyond his family, well beyond his family. Here's what Matthew Henry said about this. He said, Abraham had an eye to posterity and was in care not only that his household with him, but that his household after him should keep the way of the Lord, that religion might flourish in his family when he was in the grave. May the Lord help us to have that same kind of vision that Abraham had. One more thing I want to point out from this chapter that's an example from Abraham on being a faithful man, and that's this. Abraham was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer because of his confidence in the Lord. So the rest of this chapter from verse 20 to 33 is an example of prayer. In Abraham's case, it's carrying on a conversation with the Lord in person. That's prayer. In fact, this is really one of the greatest examples of intercessory prayer in the whole Bible. Abraham's prayer in these verses is really just such a challenge. I mean, I see all kinds of weaknesses in my prayer life as I read through what took place here with Abraham. But let's just start with verse 20 and 21. The Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, And if not, I will know. These verses are not meant to teach that God didn't know what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. He knew very well. It says there's an outcry. It's an outcry in regards to Sodom's sin. And the fact that their sins are crying out to heaven, they're crying out for God to respond. And that outcry, it says, is great. It says their sin is exceedingly grave. This is a very sober, very somber situation. People in cultures can oftentimes live in their sin for so long, they think nothing bad's ever going to happen. We're going to keep doing this stuff over and over, and there won't be a big problem with that. Put God out of your mind, maybe, maybe not even believe that he exists. But our sin... <laughs> Sin of a culture is constantly crying out to God for justice. 
So when we're told here that the Lord was going to go down and check it out, it's telling us that God's judgment is based on fact. He knows full well what all the deeds are. He knows what the intentions of the heart are. And the fact that their sins cry out tell us that their sin was ever before him. Right there. It can't be hidden from him. It can't be explained away as if there was some good reason for it. Well, in verses 22 to 23, that's where we see Abraham's prayer. Here's what they say. Then the man turned away from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do justly, deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. Then Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. And then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on the account of 20. And then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. He said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. There's two main requests, when you narrow it down, that Abraham is making in this prayer, and we can learn a lot from both of them. First is this. Abraham reverently praise to the Lord on behalf of people who had rejected the Lord and his ways. First, take note of the reverence with which Abraham speaks. He appeals to God being a righteous judge. He trusts the, God, the, the judge of all the earth to do what was just. Then Abraham continues his intercession for sparing these cities, first for 50, then 45, then 40, then 30, then 20, and finally for 10. And he does this in humble ways. In verse 27, Abraham acknowledges, listen, I'm just dust and ashes. I know that. That's all I am is dust and ashes, talking to the one true God. In verse 30 and 32, he asks the Lord, don't be angry. Don't be angry as I continue to appeal for these cities. So Abraham teaches us to come to the Lord humbly when we pray, recognizing his glorious attributes and we're more like dust and ashes in comparison. So there's a place for humility in prayer. Now the first request, request that Abraham makes is on behalf of people who have out and out rejected the Lord and his ways. He acknowledges they are wicked. That word shows up multiple times in these verses. But for the sake of the ones who are righteous within the city, Abraham asked that the city might be spared. This is important to take note of because 
it's an important correction for me, for one. When I see wickedness running rampant, my first reaction is often ask the Lord to judge all these people responsible for this stuff. That's not completely off base. <laughs> That's not an unbiblical prayer that shows up oftentimes in the scripture. And, Ab- but Ab- and Abraham acknowledged that God is the judge of the earth and he will deal justly. But as Abraham acknowledges that important truth about God's justice, he also is appealing to God's mercy here. He asked the Lord to hold off on the judgment that is truly deserved. He's asking it to hold off. So we need to pray for God to have mercy toward those who have rejected him. Like Abraham, we are all sinners and idolaters by nature. I'm very grateful that God held off on bringing judgment on my life before I received Christ. If you're a Christian, he held off on bringing judgment in your life before you received Christ. So it's right to pray for God to be merciful to those who have rejected him. The second area of Abraham's prayer is this, though. Abraham reverently prays to the Lord on behalf of people whom he believed were righteous. Were righteous. Abraham was interceding on behalf of the people in these cities who were righteous. Now, what exactly he means by righteous uh, could just be the fact that they had made, some, made good use of the truth that was available to them. Uh, truth was having some influence in their life. Not sure all that's going on there, but they're righteous compared to those who are wicked. There's a contrast there. His prayer is that God would spare these cities for the sake of the righteous ones who lived in these cities. What if there's 50 of them? What if there's 45 of them? What about if there's 40 of them? What about if there's 30? What about if there's 20? What about if there's 10? It's interesting that Abraham stops at 10. He thought there might be a possibility that there would be 10 righteous ones, and he was thinking of Lot's family, most likely. There was Lot and his wife. They had two sons. They had two married daughters and their husbands, and there were two unmarried daughters. That's 10. Abraham didn't know for sure, but he had hoped, he hoped that these 10 were righteous. He had hopes that Lot had been faithful to teach his children that they believed and that they actually believed the truths that they were taught. Abraham was wrong about this. In fact, tragically, These family members had become part of the problem. But the point of Abraham's prayer is that he was praying on behalf of those that he believed were righteous. We need to be praying for people who are Christians. The majority of the the prayers in the Bible, especially those in the New Testament, majority of the prayers in the Bible are prayers made for people who are doing well, people who are Christians. So we need to pray for our family, obviously, people in our church, other churches, 
missionaries, friends, people serving in the government, whatever that you know that profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who are seeking to follow the Lord, they need our prayers. We are supposed to pray for the righteous. So model, uh, Abraham is a model for us of a faithful man. May we be known as faithful men and women as well. But we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example to us of Abraham, an example that you've referred to, as we pointed out, even to the New Testament, as a, a man who had true saving faith, believing in the promises of a Messiah to come. Lord, we have the New Testament. We know the Messiah has come. We have much more detail than Abraham had available to him, but we're supposed to believe with the same faith in the Messiah. So we thank you so much for Christ. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be faithful men and women. Help us to be people who, whose whole life is characterized by our confidence and our trust in you. Help us to be people who are kind. Help us to be people who pray. Help us to be people who are faithful in the responsibilities we have within our family. Lord, just help us to walk out that Christian faith, the way of the Lord. Help us to continue to grow in our own faithfulness. We all know we have weaknesses. We all know that we have lapses in judgment ourselves. But, Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to us, and we trust you to see us through. If you're one who's never put your faith in Christ, I would invite you to do that. A prayer like this would be a way to start. Lord, I realize that I am sinful. I realize that I have not lived up to what I've been required to do. But I thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. I want to receive him as my Lord. I want to have the same faith that Abraham had, just absolute confidence in my Savior. If you want to talk in more detail about that commitment, you can make a note on your tear-off. Those who are watching us online can, check out, can, can, uh, can reach out to us through the website. It is in the name of Christ.